A fifth election in less than four years. Israel's prime minister is to disband the Knesset after failing to maintain his coalition. But will a new vote make a difference? And what impact does political instability have on Israel and the Palestinians? I'm Derin Abogeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from West Jerusalem is Gil Hoffman, who's the chief political correspondent at the Jerusalem Post. In Warsaw, Miron Rappaport is writer and editor at news site Local Call. And also in West Jerusalem, Gideon Rahat, who's a senior fellow at Israel Democracy Institute and chair of political science at Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for your time. Gil Hoffman, uh, I'll begin with you. So waiting in the wings, there's Benjamin Netanyahu, who's, of course, currently on trial for corruption charges. What are his chances to once again become prime minister? Pretty likely as it stands right now. Um, he, his Likud party is doing the best in the polls. Um, right now, he does not yet in the polls have a blocking majority to be able to form a government. Uh, all the parties that succeeded in ousting him last time would have to cooperate successfully again in order to prevent him from being able to form a government. Uh, the government that just fell apart fell apart because they had too few seats. It was in, it was too narrow a government, and they couldn't afford to have the rebellions that inevitably came. Uh, but the downfall of the government wasn't an indictment of the diversity. The diversity can succeed, and it was very impressive. We had right-wing, centrist, and left-wing together, and very orthodox and very anti-orthodox together, and for the first time ever, an Islamist Arab party and that they can all join forces again, at least to prevent Netanyahu from forming a government, if not to allow them to form another one themselves. All right, stand by for a second. Let's bring in Gideon. Do you agree with what Gil has to say? I mean, some polls are showing that uh, Netanyahu's Likud party would, would once again uh, be the largest in parliament going forward. But could he put together a coalition? If you look at the polls, it looks like we're going to see the same thing again. No uh, majority for uh, Netanyahu to form a government. Majority, clear majority for the Israeli right, but no majority for the supporters of Netanyahu. So, uh, you know, when you look at these, you, you imagine that we might have another government like the one that we have right now or the previous one with, you know, uh, two, uh, uh, with rotation or something like this, or we might have another elections. But that's, again, it is based on the current polls. And these polls, uh, the election results are very sensitive to the uh, ability of specific parties to pass the electoral threshold of 3.25% uh, of the vote. Okay, Meron, uh, Netanyahu, uh, I just want to... Um, focus on him for a second. I mean, he, he, we've seen him on Israeli media, at least. He's come out. He's looking quite bullish on television. In his own words, he's saying that the winds have changed. How popular do you think he remains with right-wing Israelis? He's certainly very, very popular. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, maybe some people thought that after the, 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 the trial will begin, then his popularity uh, will, will, render, uh, will go down and that there will be opponents from within the Likud party. This uh, did not happen. And I think he's quite popular. Whether he will get this 61 uh, majority, this is a question. 
we have to remember that in the last elections, the polls were more favorable to the right wing than, uh, uh, than the actual results. Netanyahu got better in the polls than he got in the actual results. So it's very open. Okay, I see. Gil, um, I just want to take you up on something you said a moment ago, where you said the coalition was diverse and you believe that diversity can succeed. But, you know, a lot of people say that it was the fragility of the coalition under Bennett that, that led to all of this. Are you surprised by this turn of events or, or have you expected it? I was surprised when the cohesive coalition started crumbling on the 3rd of April. Um, until then, it looked like they all had the same goal in mind, which included keeping Netanyahu out of power. He was seen as the glue that kept them together. Um, uh, but Netanyahu ran a campaign of scare tactics against the right-wing members of Netanyahu that were part of the coalition, and two of them cracked. Uh, you had the former coalition chairwoman who uh, was uh, faced tremendous pressure from Netanyahu's people. He paid people to demonstrate outside her home, uh, to heckle her children on the way to school. It's got to be absolutely untenable. Uh, it's the job of the opposition to bring the government down. Netanyahu succeeded. He deserves credit for that. And, and Gideon, I mean, the final straw came when a bill allowing Jewish settlers in the occupied West Bank to live under Israeli jurisdiction, uh, while many Palestinians live under the rules of military occupation, was defeated in parliament. That is what led to the downfall of this government. What does this tell us about the state of play in Israel when this settler law, which normally would enjoy broad support in parliament and has been renewed over the past couple of decades, failed to pass this time around? This was a show that uh, Netanyahu and his, uh, uh, his camp were determined to, uh, to go with all of the power to oust the government because this law is a classic law for the settlers, for the Israeli right, and they were ready to go against their own interests in order to oust this government. Yeah, Maron, can you weigh in on this? Because it is pretty outstanding that, that Netanyahu, who, despite his ideological support uh, for extending Israeli law to West Bank settlers, told his Likud parties to vote against this. I mean, how shocking is that? Not, I don't think it's shocking. I think what happened, and I uh, hear, I, I, I personally predicted that the, the government will fall in June, uh, I was quite uh, sure it will, because uh, the government pretended, the, the, the Bennett government pretended that we can freeze the Palestinian issue uh, for three years, four years uh, time. Now, uh, the Palestinians are not part of the deal. Uh, they are not ready to be freezed. Uh, and the situation did deteriorate and this affected uh, the government. And as regarding the law, we have to understand that what happened now is that Israeli society, Jewish Israeli society, is unable to reach a consensus. And as a part of this, all kind of issues that regularly went unnoticed, like this law, just come up. Uh, and all the contradiction within Israel just come up. And this is one great example of how a law that was unnoticed for 55 years makes the government fall. So, Miron, to put it simply then, would it be fair to say that the coalition government ultimately collapsed over the Palestinian uh, conflict and, and the occupation? 
I think Gil, I'll that, come uh, to you in a second. Uh, uh, I see you yes. shaking your I, head. I, but... I, 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 I think, I think yes. I think this is what led the coalition to form. Uh, uh, specifically, it was this law, but the whole. Uh, uh, the freeze, try to freeze the Palestinian issue and trying to avoid it, uh, just put more and more pressure on the government uh, from all sides, from the more right-wing side, people in Bennett's party, and from the left, from, from uh, uh, Mahmoud, uh, from Mansour Abbas uh, party, and these two just couldn't uh, live under this pressure from the right and from the left, and just the government collapsed. I think there's no other reason for the government to collapse than the Palestinian issue. All right, I see both Gil and Gideon want to weigh in on this. So Gil, over to you first, and, and Gideon, I'll give you a chance to respond as well. I've worked at the Knesset for 24 years, and I don't remember the last time the Palestinians were even brought up. Uh, they certainly weren't brought up by any of the people rebelling inside the coalition, not even when the Ram party, the Arab Muslim party started rebelling. They, it wasn't really about the Palestinians either. Um, this bill is a bill that's not controversial. It hasn't some things that are very important to right-wing people and some things that are very important to left-wing people. Um, and it always passed unanimously or only the Arab members of Knesset voting against it. It was never controversial in any way. This was something that was just exploited because it had a deadline on it. It had to pass by next Thursday, the, the 30th of June. Uh, that the opposition said, well, we're not going to vote for it. And with, since an Arab party couldn't vote for it, the coalition had no majority for it. And uh, the opposition smartly exploited that in order to bring the government down. Uh, but it had nothing to do with the Palestinians who will remain irrelevant in Israeli politics until after they have their election. They have a leader who's 86 years old uh, who uh, doesn't have the support of his people. And that's, I guess, for another show. All right, Gideon, over to you. I mean, this is what Ayman Aude had to say, who, of course, you know, is the Knesset member, head of the Arab Joint List. He wrote on Twitter, its effort to keep the occupation in place are what brought the government down as much as the government did everything to, to ignore it. Uh, you you uh, agree with that, or, or what's your response? No, I mean, uh, Israeli politics in the last year, few years, the last four election rounds and probably the next one, is only about one main issue, the continuation of uh, the rule of Benjamin Netanyahu or the end of his rule. That's all. All of the other things, including very important other issues, are secondary. Because if the territories are where the issues, we would have a right-wing majority, stable right-wing majority of 70, 72 seats, something like this, if, if this was the main issue. So <clears throat> I think that, that it's uh, maybe the Palestinian issue is still there. Maybe the Palestinian issue was used. But the Palestinian issue will always the be the elephant in the room, will it not? Well, the, the Palestinian issue is a uh, 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 non-issue for the current uh, government because it cannot be an issue, It I think. Uh, if it was the main issue, so we would have a coalition. We would have a coalition of 70, 72 members of the right wing that support with different nuances the idea of, uh, of uh, greater Israel. So I think that the main issue right now is the rule of Netanyahu rather than the 
Palestinian issue. Well, okay, let's let's just bring in Maron for just a moment because uh, we were mentioning the the Arab lists um, just a moment ago, and uh, and Ayman Oude, Maron. One question that leaves people wondering is what the Arab parties will do next. Because on the one hand, you have the, the Ram, which made history, as you know, a year ago, the first Arab party to join a ruling coalition. On the other hand, you have the Arab joint list. Well, how do you see uh, that going forward? That's a big question. I don't have the answer. I think the, question, the, the, the real answer is the percentage of participation. If uh, uh, participation among the Palestinian uh, citizens of Israel will remain low as it did in the last election, something like 50% or even below that, then that gives a great chance for Netanyahu to win. If, uh, uh, on the other hand, the, the participation rate will go uh, up as it did in September, uh, 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 in April uh, 2020, then we will have the joint list maybe on 15 or both parties uh, together on 15 uh, uh, seats and this will change completely the political map. Uh, I think what happened in the last year uh, uh, at the moment, it seems that the participation will remain low because there's this uh, uh, ingoing uh, uh, infights between the Palestinian parties, uh, uh, the Islamic party on the one hand and the joint list on the other. So I think the result will be maybe that the participation will remain low. But I want just a quick remark. If the issue uh, to what was said before. If the issue was only Netanyahu or not Netanyahu, then the government would have stayed. Uh, then there's no reason, there was no reason for the government to fall. But all the crises that we have during this last year, crisis about the naturalization law, and, uh, uh, and of course now, all the crises were connected to the Palestinian issue and all the attacks by the right wing was on the fact that terror uh, uh, supporters are in the government. So to say that the Palestinian issue is non-existent, I think it's, it's, it's uh, uh, ignoring the political uh, reality. Okay, uh, Gil, uh, talk to us about the procedure going forward. The Knesset has already voted preliminary uh, to disperse itself 110 to zero, from what I understand. It still must pass three more times next week. Is that correct? What is the procedure? Correct. So it, next Monday, next Wednesday at the latest, the Knesset will have the three more readings. There's a fight over which committee will deal with it, whether it's a committee that's led by a loyalist of Bennett or, or, or someone who rebelled against Bennett. Uh, there are those in Likud who still want to try to form a government with the current Knesset. They look at the current Knesset, C-72 right-wing members of Knesset, uh, another eight from the Blue and White Party of Benny Gantz, who happens to despise the uh, proposed prime minister, Yair Lapid, and think maybe they can prevent this election from happening. And that, that speculation will continue until next week when still the overwhelmingly likely scenario is that an election would be initiated um, that would be held uh, as early as the 25th of October. It could be the next Tuesday after that or the one after that in November. Uh, Gideon, barring any surprises, of course, uh, uh, the expectation is that Yair Lapid will be the interim prime minister, meaning that he will be most probably meeting with the U.S. President Joe Biden when Joe Biden visits next month. And this is what the State Department has said 
Um, I don't expect political developments in Israel will have implications for what we're seeking to accomplish together with our Israeli partners. What is Israel hoping to get out of this visit? This visit is, uh, you know, it's a visit of uh, one head of a country with another. So for the state of Israel, this would uh, signify a kind of uh, continuation of the uh, close relationship with the United States in general. But I also suspect that the American current uh, administration uh, would not uh, be uh, so sad if, uh, if Biden's visit would give some uh, type of sign that they uh, support uh, Lapid and his side of the political map. Maron, what is your take on the uh, U.S. president's visit to Israel next month ahead of, uh, you know, whilst uh, the country is in political turmoil? I think, I think uh, it was originally uh, one of the reasons for this visit is to really uh, reinforce uh, Bennett's position and Bennett's uh, uh, government. Now that the Bennett's government is falling, I think uh, the U.S. will be very happy to see uh, Lapid as prime minister help him uh, to, to win uh, the next election. They prefer him uh, for Bennett. Bennett was you know, they were forced to accept him uh, as, as an alternative to Netanyahu. I think uh, they will try and help uh, Lapid. This is not what they meant at the beginning, but I think they will try to uh, help his position and strengthen his position in the Israeli public. Gil, what will um, Yair Lapid bring to the table as interim prime minister? And, and from what I understand, I mean, going forward, the, the dispersing of the Knesset not only holds a series of economic reforms, but also no nominations of senior officials can take place in the country, for example, uh, the next military chief of staff. So how, how does all this affect uh, Israel sort of internally? I internally, it puts uh, the government in paralysis again, which it was through the first four elections. Uh, only this time, instead of having Netanyahu presiding over it and having an interest in going to election after election after election, you have uh, Lapid there, and uh, Netanyahu has an interest in ousting him as fast as possible. Um, meanwhile, Lapid is moderate, and that is something that the world, including President Biden, would want to work with, but they could easily screw up. Uh, let's not forget, Joe Biden had a, had a visit here as vice president in which he made a big deal about building in, in an ultra-Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem, surrounded by ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods in Jerusalem, and acted as if a new settlement had been built deep in the West Bank that would have prevent the creation of a Palestinian state. Uh, him making such a big deal about that ended up making it a lot harder for the Americans to move the peace process forward after that. If he insists on taking steps to show that they're even-handed and helping the Palestinians, he might as well just give a vote, uh, thousands of votes, to Netanyahu. He would give him such a boost. Uh, so Biden has to be very, very careful in what he says and what he does here, because everything will be very, very scrutinized because it's happening during an election campaign. And not only that, speaking of the timing, Gideon, I'll bring you in. Um, the timing of all of this coming, of course, is uh, Israel has ratcheted up tensions with Iran, Syria, Lebanon. What do you make of that? Um, well... This is, um, on, the, on the one hand, we have all of these uh, uh, possible conflicts, and actually the conflict is not with uh, Lebanon, it's with the Hezbollah that is uh, 
the strongest force within Lebanon and probably the proxy of Iran. But uh, all of these uh, things are on uh, uh, there on the one hand. On the other hand, Israel also have uh, some, uh, uh, I would, uh, some peace agreements and some better relationship with other countries. So things are going in the Middle East all the time. Some people are becoming closer to each other. Some people are uh, far from each other. I mean, this is uh, life. This is the balance of power. The, uh, I mean, who would believe that uh, that uh, 50 years ago, Israel and Iran were uh, the closest friends in the Middle East together with uh, Turkey? So, I mean, this is uh, something that is part of uh, balance of power in the world and also in the area. And this is something that Israelis are living with for decades. Actually, I think that Israel is much better off with its relationship with many uh, Middle Eastern countries than it was uh, decades before. I think many Middle Eastern countries have come to expect the fact that Israel is here to stay and then they try to uh, to have relationship and maybe even try to influence uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in uh, more diplomatic ways. All right, on that note, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Gil Hoffman, Meron Rappaport, and Gideon Rahat. We appreciate your time. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Laishi, Osama Aliouni, Abdurrahman Warsameh, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan Madrid. The program was edited by Andrew Ustuzin, Lin Nguyen, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday.